Thank you, Pastor Chris. Please help me welcome Pastor Chris. <laughs> oh. Awesome, awesome, awesome. That is hilarious. Um, <laughs> man, the prophetic gift might be on a whole nother level. People come up. See, let me look at his destiny. No, um, but I'll be sure to keep that in prayer as well. Um, but yes, it's good to be with you guys again and, um, and so delighted. Um, good news is me and my wife, we do love being here in South Africa. Um, the bad news is we, we have to fly back home today. Um, and so it's been joyful. Um, don't make me cry. Don't do that. I just, it's like when I, when I start crying, it gets really ugly. So I try to hold it back as long as possible. Then it's just like the pot just begins to boil over. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's, it has been really, really great. Um, and I'm so grateful for everything. This has been an impartation for me. I've received so much, uh, whether it's been in the conference or either conversations with many of you all, a huge encouragement for what God has started um, in my life and my wife's life as well. Um, I do want to. I do want to point this out. Can you hand me this real quick, uh, Pastor uh, Pastor Philip? Um, this is this 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 right here. I have my second official Philly bag. If you don't know what this is, you are missing out on the South African experience. And I said that as an American. And so I just I'm super excited about it. Like completed the trip. And so when I got that, I was like, man, I don't even need a passport to get back um, to America. I just show them the bag and say I'm official. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so I'm, I was really excited about that. Um, and, okay, so here it is. All right, so we, we, uh, we have this moment here. I want to uh, also, um, Pastor Simon, I appreciate your wisdom in just having us pause after Pastor Steve's uh, session. Um, and, and it was just one of those moments when you talked about the guy uh, teaching on the Trinity for two hours and the theology opened up people's hearts. And, and when you gave that biblical theology for worship, it just opened up our hearts. Don't we agree? Hey, Amen. Can we show some love to the Lord uh, and appreciation to Pastor Steve for that? I mean, I'm just sitting there, and I told him, I told him just briefly, I said, you answered about three months of prayers in my life um, in that session. So I'm grateful um, for that. Um, so um, today, um, in, this, in this session, we're going to talk about the anatomy of a preacher. The anatomy of a preacher. Um, and a subtitle, we'll get into that in a second, which would be the example of me uh, kind of showing the anatomy of a preacher. The anatomy of a preacher is what we're going to be uh, digging into in this moment. Um, I want to I open up with this scripture here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 through 3. And, um, and just, just in our hearing, it says, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. Um, I'm always struck, struck by, by, by this passage and, and actually by this whole part of, of 2 Corinthians, because this leads us, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. I mean, it's, it's like Paul is laying down some very thick, some very thick things about the, the impact of the gospel on our lives. And so when I, when I see this, uh, this is the first thing that I want to be able to encourage us all with. You are a message. You in yourself, you are a message. Um, you are written by the Spirit of God. Um, someone ministered to you and were able to impart something into you, um, but really it only activated what God created you to be, um, which means God already created you to be something excellent. When we encounter ministry of the Word, that, that, begins, to, that begins to help us form in the way God created us. So you yourself are a message. You don't just have a message. You are a message. Now, you know, you want to make sure you are a message of Christ. Um, because we know Satan cannot create anything. He only can pervert what God has already created. So if God created you to be a message in your being, he is always trying to rewrite disturb, disrupt, or either pervert that message, which is you. 
Um, and that's what he does. Satan, Satan cannot create anything. He only can study God's pattern and say, how can I confuse people between who God is and who I am? And then maybe they'll think that I am God. The same thing happened um, with his war against God throughout uh, in, in, in heaven. And so when I get this, you are a message. And, and even more, what I like about this, I mean, Paul, he's also testifying about just the joy of ministry. When you recognize you are a message, you also recognize you get an opportunity to kickstart God's message in somebody else's life as well. And so when you're in ministry of word, whether it's preaching or proclamation in a teaching moment, in a discipleship moment, you get a chance to kickstart or either help somebody recognize that God is using them as a tablet, not written with ink, not written with a, 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 a chisel, but written by the Spirit of God. That is so joyful. That's such a privilege. Can we all say privilege? And so as we talk about ministry of word, um, and I said the anatomy of a preacher, but also it could just be the anatomy of a minister um, because ultimately I want, us, I want us to see that we are put in the position of being proclaimers of God's word. Now, everybody in here, again, might not preach on Sunday sermon moments. Um, but we do have opportunities to proclaim um, God's word. We have opportunities to be able to continue to encourage the atmosphere of worship um, through sermon and the ministry of the word. And so when we talk about you are a message, I want to kind of just touch on the privilege of preaching. Um, this is, uh, I'm not going to really try to pronounce his last name, it's French, and um, there are many people that speak French in here, so I'm not going to goof up there. But his first name, um, how I would say it, is like Alexander, uh, but it might be Alexandre. I don't know, but his quote was really good. <laughs> I, speak, I speak three languages. One, uh, American English. Two, black English vernacular. <laughs> black English vernacular uh, also uh, could be called slang. Um, as Carol was talking to my wife and I, I said, your boots are dope. Now, that, this is just a side note. When we say dope, we're not talking about the white substance that's also called cocaine. We're actually talking about the chemical in our brains called dopamine, which brings joy or the excitement. And so we're saying it's dope. We're saying that thing got some dopamine on it. And so really black English vernacular is kind of like taking really big educated words and making them cool. Um, <laughs> um, the third language is, uh, is tongues. Uh, so... <laughs> Uh, somebody might have the interpretation. I could speak in the last one, but, uh, you know, the, the, I, you, you got me? I, I bet you don't challenge me today because I'm going to end up having to do it. I'm like, ah, okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So, all right, I want to read this quote uh, about the privilege of preaching. Preaching is an action, but an action of the soul and its effects are connected with the preacher's spiritual state. It is not so much by what he says as by what he is, that the preacher may flatter himself that he does not beat the air. Before everything, he is concerned to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. The pure conscience, that is to say uprightness of intention, is the true force of preaching. Beyond your style, beyond your rhetoric, preaching is an action of the soul where God is communicating to and through you. Um, and, we all, and I always say to and through uh, because ultimately we have to recognize we cannot expect God to do something in the pulpit that has not been done in, public, in, in private. Your private piety always prepares you for the public platform. Many people want the power, and I think it was Pastor James or one of the first day sessions, I think it was Pastor James, talked about Simon, who, Simon the sorcerer, yep, and, and he saw the power of God, and he wanted to get it in a quick way. But it was actually the private piety of them experiencing walking with Jesus and experiencing a Pentecost moment where they were endowed with the Holy Spirit. And what many people want are the symptoms of walking with Jesus, but not the process of walking with Jesus. And, and so now what this, what this 
puts us in position is that as the preacher, as the minister of the gospel, we get a chance to hold the mystery of the faith. We get a chance to hold this mystery that reconnects humanity with divinity, that realigns us with our creator. And when you have a message that's that big, that's pure, and that perfect, it should humble you to be transformed by it as well. Now, let me get this qualified. I am doing... Um, I'm doing a session. I'm not necessarily preaching. What we call, the, what we call this is, now, now, now here it is. Here it is. I, I realize I got a little excited about that. I realize I did. And I am, <laughs> I'm learning. I am learning. Um, this, 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 my friends, is what we call treaching. Treaching. Teaching and preaching. We treach. Yes. Yes. So, any given moment, that gear going to shift, and I can't help it. So I'm a tr- You're right. Okay. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I don't know how many of you all ever heard of Leonard Ravenhill. Um, he's kind of like a polarizing author for many people. Uh, even one of his good friends uh, in the introduction to, to his book, um, While Revival Tarries, uh, he said, you know, he's kind of one of those people, he's, he's hard to like, but once you like him, you love him. Um, because he was what I would say... Uh, kind of like an Old Testament prophet, Leonard Ravenhill. And he has a couple things. As I was reading this book, um, Why Revival Tarries, I almost felt like it's one of those books I should just assign people and say, if you don't agree with everything, you will be convicted by something in it. Uh, here's one of the things he said. A sermon born in the head reaches the head. A sermon born in the heart reaches the heart. Um, he, he goes on. I, I, I got another quote I'll say it later, um, and if I don't, somebody come up and ask me afterwards. Um, but, but when you look at this, he, he looks at the idea of preaching uh, as being compelled, preaching under what many people call an unction. Um, preaching under an unction, which means that I've been compelled by the Holy Spirit, or either by, like by divine power, to communicate a message. Now, we can, we, can, we, can, we can do a lot of things within our head, within our rhetoric. You can exegete a text, um, which means you can pull out um, good things. You can gap the text without the Holy Spirit, um, and you would, get, you would get facts. You can look at the Bible like a piece of literature, and you can have a great public speaking voice. And, and again, I appreciate the example that was mentioned earlier about a great communicator who says, I love everything about ministry except for the people. And, and man, my, my heart was cut um, because I said, it's, it's, so, it's so contrary to Romans 5, 8. It says, but he demonstrated his love for us by dying on the cross. Jesus wasn't so consumed with ministry that it wasn't about the people. If there was no people, there would be no ministry. And so I can conceive something in my head, and I can get up and flatter myself. I can give you alliterations all day. I can give you three or four words that start with the same thing and give you a rhyme and feel real good about it. Have you in stitches is what people call you when you're laughing, and have people laughing and say, wow, that was great, and I can feel good about myself. But if, if it's only in the head, you, it will only reach your head. So you will go having knowledge of freedom but not having the true freedom that Christ offers us. Having a form of godliness but denying his true power is what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, and so when we look at the privilege of preaching, uh, I, I, there's, there's a part um, in me when our church is only five years old and I, I, was, I was raised in what uh, I call a black Baptist uh, experience, African-American Baptist experience. It was a Southern Baptist. Um, and when I say Baptist, it was almost Baptocostal. Um, which means I had a little bit of Pentecost and Pentecostal type thing. And, you know, people jump, people get happy. Um, when people get happy, they, thank you! It's about right there. You know, nobody really spoke in tongues because we were Baptists. Uh, and so, um, but I mean, the preaching moment, it, 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 had, it, it had good moments from what I would say that, that was able to be uh, derived from the plantation of slavery. Um, when you look at the pneumatology uh, of, of the church and you look at how the Holy Spirit expresses itself in, in the charismatic church, a lot of that comes from the plantation moment and the freedom of the Spirit that actually arrives from, the African, from many African traditions. Now, when I look at my church experience, I mean, the preacher wasn't preaching until he was sweating. 
And he did the, ha. Huh. He almost sounded like he had asthma as he was preaching. And the deeper he breathed was the better he was preaching. And he had to hum with it as well. He had to have a little singing with it. And I mean, and you, every, every sermon, and I'm not saying this as a bad thing. I'm just telling you how I was raised. Every sermon, by the end of it, you had to take people to Calvary. You had to take him to the cross. And you can say he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. <laughs> for the chastisement of our peace. He was, by his stripes we are healed. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Is there anybody in here? Right. And, 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 and what began to happen, when it got good to him, he says, oh, I feel my help coming on. Right? It was always back here. He would go grab it. But here's the thing. Everybody that was listening, it began to be participant proclamation. And as he was saying it, as you all start participating, it drew people in. And so at the end of it, people are standing up and preach, preacher. Come on. Hallelujah. And they, they're right there. And, and, and then, and, and so this is what I was raised up in. And I don't know how I just did that right there. Oh. I don't, I don't know. I, I really wish for that for years of my preaching. Come on. Show a seat. God's going to bless you for that. Oh, yeah. Right. I'm trying to. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to leave it right here. That's imposing line up. Imposing line up. You post. Now, now listen, there's a lot of now, okay, I gotta qualify this just a little bit, and I'm gonna get back to my story. Even when people did that, there was an element of being moved by the spirit by what you are saying. It draws me and I'm gonna activate my faith by sowing a seed. Now, some of these things have been made a mockery of because people didn't understand it. But what that when somebody would get up sometime, they're saying, you spoke to Spoke to my, I'm going to sow a seed right now and because it's good ground. Now, now and, it's, and you know, a lot of, here's the thing. Without great explanation, it just becomes a circus act. And then people just getting up because I want people to see that I got blessed. Again, it's all in the motives. All right. So, and so I remember I was preaching at a church, and I wasn't used to that. And I was preaching, and I got really excited. Somebody came up. I said, what the treasurer was going to, the board got to take I don't even touch no money. Uh-uh. Because when I was called to preach, they told me don't touch the gold, don't touch the glory, and don't touch the girls. That's gold. <laughs> the gold, glory, or girls. Don't just get away from them. Right? And so, and so what? <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> and so, so, all right. So, I was, so, so people would preach a certain way, and, and, and I, I would be enthused by it. But when God called me to preach, I did not fit in. And what I realized was I would base my, my, my preaching identity off of other people. I would begin to try to base my preaching identity, uh, no, I would begin to base my identity off of my preaching versus God. And, and so when God called me to preach, and, and one of my mentors is a great traditional African-American homiletic, and I would listen to him preach, and he would rip a room up. And I would just sit there in amazement. It was like I'm sitting there at the Mount of Transfiguration. We just finished eating together, and here it is. I'm, and I was amazed, and I could see God moving. But I was stuck in this dichotomy. I was stuck in this, in this internal hostility of myself trying to figure out who am I and what's my voice. Do I try to do that? Is it about the presentation? Do I get caught up in the style? Then I would listen to somebody else. I mean, the range of preachers I listen to, it goes from T.D. Jakes to Charles Stanley. And I'm not talking about Andy Stanley, which is a newer version of Charles kind of, but I'm talking about, I'm talking about old school Charles Stanley. And, and, and so I was... But I, I couldn't sing. I, I don't, I, you know, I make a joyful noise. That's about it. And, and so I just had some, I didn't, I didn't know if I had the necessary mechanics to preach because I was caught up on the presentation. And so, I, and again, this is part of testimony and sharing with you guys as well. The fact that, that, the fact that I was asked to, 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 to teach and preach at a, at a Word and Spirit conference, it blows my mind. Because I remember the days of reading the word and saying, God, if you preach, if you want to speak through me, you got to do a marvelous work. And I wasn't talking about my heart. 
I was just talking about the presentation because I didn't like speaking in front of people. I had stuttering issues. I mean, I looked at Moses and said, Moses, you must be my older cousin. Um, because you sending somebody, you said, go speak. And I'm like, God, why, 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 why you want me, you know, to, to go? And, 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 but, but again, uh, every, everything that I am and all of what I do in regards to preaching and ministry of the word, I have to give glory to God because I know without him, I would not be a shadow or a shell of what I am now. I don't have the skill set, nor the vocabulary, nor the upbringing. That should land me on a stage, but I have a holy, but I have the Holy Spirit within me, that begins to compel me, and cause me to speak His word. And so, as I so as our church started, um, we're, we're five years old, and, and so I had this conflict because our church is multi-ethnic, and, and well, we were striving to be multi-ethnic at the time. I think we had like two people that weren't black, and it was only ten people in the church. So if that helps you at all, <laughs> um, and, but it was a very very small state. And, and I remember I would, I would invite people in, but some of my mentors did not match my preaching tradition. They, 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 could give, they, they would give a talk. That's what they would call the sermon. But I'm like, you don't raise your voice, none at all. I mean, but you give me words of life in private. Like, you mentor me. You're a great pastor. I was like, so how do I bring you in to an atmosphere where I'm all the way up here all the time? And you speak here where people be able to gather. So the Lord began to just deal with my heart. So I don't look for a style when I look for preaching. I look, I look for these four things, and I took them off the PowerPoint because I wasn't sure I was going here, so I'm going to say I'm slow. Um, when, when somebody's preaching, I look for cash. Cash. C-A-S-H. Cash. Now, this is coined. Don't go write a book on it because it's mine. Okay. <laughs> uh, but cash. Character. Character. Um. Are you being transformed by Christ? Can people see Christ in you? That would be the question. Can people see Christ in you? Character, which also can be uh, a synonym for this moment, could be integrity. Uh, it's not just about the preaching moment. It's just about your living. Character. Then authenticity. Authenticity. C-A-S-H. Character. Can people see Christ in you? Authenticity. Can people see Christ working on you? He's the potter. We are the clay. He forms us and molds us. Character, authenticity. Can people see Christ working on you? As I was going through one of my, uh, one of my assignments for our program and preaching program, uh, I, 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 I was reading through the paper, and one of the, one of the statements in there, I said, when I'm preaching, it is my hope that if people see me, they see me as a piece of marred clay, and they see the hands of the potter molding me while I'm preaching. So if they do see me, they only see Christ working on me, um, even in the midst of it. I believe that I am being, in a sense, perfected while I'm preaching. Because uh, preaching saves. It don't just save you. But remember what Paul told Timothy. If you keep good watch over your doctrine, you'll save, you and, you'll save others and yourself. So authenticity, all right, then substance, substance, substance. Can people hear Christ in you? Can people hear Christ in you? Does your message have substance? Is it birthed in Scripture? Is it delivered in Scripture? Has it been bathed in Scripture? Is it dripping with the Word? Is it dripping with the substance of a life that is completely eclipsed by Christ? Substance. Can people... Hear Christ through you, substance. So when I'm listening to a sermon, I, I, don't, I don't listen to be impressed um, by how a person says something. I begin to listen to what they say. And so I like listening to different styles of preaching, and it challenges me and it humbles me to say, Chris, are you listening for me or are you listening to the messenger? And as Pastor Steve alluded to it, I mean, as he said something about he doesn't like to tell what he is preaching um, when, he goes, uh, when he goes to Manila, which this is a whole different movement. Every time I see him in Manny, I'm just like, him of the garments. Just, I want to touch him. <laughs> no, but, uh, but, 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 but what he was saying was he didn't want it to be about him, but he wanted it to be about the substance of what's being preached. He want people to, he want people to be able to hear God's substance. Um. Pastor James, he, he made a comment um, to, to, to me yesterday 
about uh, how Sherelle looks at me while I'm preaching. And he was like, I just can tell that, that she just loves you. Like, she just, she's all in, and she just, like, she's so pensive. All right? And, and I was like, for real? Yeah, you know. <laughs> all right. But then... But then the compliment, then the compliment was kind of rescinded or either expanded the day that took it all, took all the romance out of it. He said, you know, while Pastor Steve was preaching, I saw her looking pensive, and I said, so she just liked the word. <laughs> right? And I said, I was like, yeah, but hold on now. There's a difference. See, she like, she likes a good meal, but when I am given a good meal, she likes the meal and the chef. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but what it is, when, when we started ministry, I didn't want to preach. I did not want to preach. I couldn't help it. And so when we met together, like I'm saying as a Bible study, if that's what you called it at the time, I was so scared to say something wrong I probably used about 15 scriptures every Bible study. I proved the text with the text on top of the text. And so when you guys heard me preach and I go from Exodus to 2 Corinthians or, uh, or, or I go from Genesis to Revelation at any given time, any given moment, it's like I hit a gear and I'm like, hey, let's get Bible history out the way right now. Because you need to understand all of it connects. But part of it was, I know I'm imperfect, but I know there's a perfect message. Substance. Substance. Then the last one, humility. Humility. Character, authenticity, substance, and humility. Every leadership and ministry rubric, rubric that I have ends with humility, or is anchored on humility, should I say. One time, um, humility. Can people see Christ over you? Can people see Christ over you? One of the tenets in the purple book is lordship and the one-to-one book. I love getting to that session when I'm discipling people because when it, cause, cause it basically you get a chance to give them, um, you give them an opportunity to say, am I submitted to Christ or not? Because a lot of people recognize him as savior. Oh, he saved my soul. We got a thing. I hear a lot of guys, and this is part of hip-hop and bad stuff in America. Um, people like, yeah, the man upstairs, you know, he got me, right? The man upstairs, he got me. What, you, what are you saying, sir? Um, and and they, they recognize him in his power. They recognize him as Savior. But nothing about their lifestyle says him as Lord. Humility. Can people see Christ over you? One of the, um, one of the pieces of wisdom, I love hanging out with people that's a, a generation or so ahead of me um, because it just helps me from being, it helps me from living out the stupidity that still exists within me. Uh, in other words, um, it helps me mature faster. As, uh, Carol, as Carol said, I am 33, and, and part of my challenge in pastoring was when people came to my church that was older than me and more educated than me. Um, and so, I, so it's almost like, any of y'all ever been preaching or been in front of people, and you kind of look at the person that is, has become your pipeline or your litmus test to see if you're making sense or not, and you end up preaching the whole sermon to, like, uh, to just one person uh, because you're just trying to, is this making sense? Yeah, yeah, I know y'all here, but is this making sense to you? Because if you don't get it, I don't care. But if you don't get it, you know, and you just, and, and, but, but the more and more I recognize, um, the more and more I recognize is that if, I'm, if, if the audience is truly God, I can't let that person become God, whatever that person is, whatever their status is or whatever. Uh, So I was saying, so I like hanging out with the generation ahead of me to give me wisdom, help me not live out the stupidity that's in my heart. It's part of my sanctification process, being submitted um, to other people. It is. And I think it should be a part of all of ours. But um, and and so one 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 pastor, preacher, leader, mentor of mine, um, he said he said when when somebody's preaching. I like to look at their family member because if they're preaching and what they're preaching is contradictory to their lifestyle, you'll be able to see it. You'll just be able to see the grimace or the frown on the face of their family members. And so, if, and so if somebody's preaching and and the spouse, the child, they just I don't like. Mm, I hate your guts or whatever. Like, and so 
so when somebody gives a compliment about Sherelle looking and seeing me minister and having joy and delight, it's a testament. And it reminds me, Chris, you are being the same person right now as you are in the kitchen, uh, as you are when you're hanging out with the kids. Is that, is, is that in, does your integrity um, make you a seamless individual? Um, and I know it's only through Christ. So when somebody's preaching, before I invite somebody in, I need to see their cash. I'm like, show me the cash, not your money. But show me your cash. And it took, it took two times in five years for me to have people that lack one of those. And I said, I'll never do it again. Because I felt, I felt that I mismanaged being the shepherd of that house. And I exposed people to something that was inauthentic or something that lacked substance. That I, I, I get stressed more when I'm not preaching at my church. I, I don't trust everybody up there. I just don't. I got, I got trust issues. If they come, now, here's the thing. I love being part of our spiritual family because if somebody's coming from every nation, I'm like, they live in cash. And if they don't, somebody would have told them. If you don't tell people that they're not living in cash, here's your commission. Tell them when they're faking. It will help them and help others. You don't have to be apologetic about that. Paul, Paul, when he said, you know, it's not my duty to judge the people outside of the church. No, I'm judging the ones that's in. And somewhere along the line, we, we lost the boldness to check one another rightly. Check one another rightly. I used to be afraid to get checked, but at least if I get checked, I won't make the same mistake again. <laughs> Pastor Steve said all his bad sermons was on tape. He says, but all of yours are digitized. I was like, I'm blessed God we didn't have a, a media ministry for about three years. <laughs> Boy, yeah. Okay. So let, let, let me keep going. Let me keep going here. Anatomy of a preacher is where I'm, is where I'm going. Uh, when we talk about the anatomy of a preacher, here's what we're going to cover. I'm going to look at Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah. And, but this is anatomy of a preacher, and you're going to see some of these things in there. Um, and, and I'm, I'm going to come back to this, and hopefully, if I don't get a chance to uh, do activation, um, I, you know, you can have access to this PowerPoint. I'm, I'm going to do at least one activation because uh, I want you guys to be able to uh, go through this exercise. Um, so calling, purpose, words, and message, the anatomy of a preacher, uh, when a person was called, what God called them to or why God called them, uh, what words do they use that's consistent? Um, and then the message, what is God saying through them? Like if there was one big message, and it, hopefully it'll make more sense or um, become clearer as we go. So for, for, so for this moment, um, I want to ask this question, where's your fire? Where's your fire? Um, and this would be a treaching moment. Here we go. Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. Um, and it says, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning, what? Shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Where's your fire? As proclaimers and ministers of the gospel, where is your fire? Jeremiah, he came to this moment of preaching. And, his, and the tension that he faced here, I mean, when you read Jeremiah chapter 20, this, I used to hear the song uh, when people used to get excited, just like fire, shut up in my bones, right? And they used to just go and be excited. People just shut, and, a, and a cousin of mine who's in ministry, he said, you know, people sing that song totally wrong. They sing it like that fire was a pleasure, like it felt good. But the fire that Jeremiah was talking about was actually painful. Jeremiah hit this moment in ministry where he literally considered stopping. He considered stopping. I don't know if you call it burnout or what. But he had a very unpopular ministry. He didn't have many feel-good sermons. Most of his sermons were, were, were judgment is coming. Even when breakthrough is coming, it's going to take 70 years. People misquote that text all the time. And they think they're going to get in seven minutes what took 70 years. Sometimes you got to sit in it a little while. Prophecies of deliverance take a little while. All right, so let me, I don't want to get sidetracked with that. And so he was being persecuted. 
I mean, he was being stoned. It would be like he would give away. Could you imagine if you preached a word and somebody came up and punched you in your mouth versus sowing a seed? You said something about their life and said, some of y'all, y'all need to get your marriage together. And they came up, bow! And you got to get right back up and say it again. He was tortured. He was persecuted. The reason why I say he was tortured, because it wasn't that he just was made a martyr. No, his life was tortured. Like, his entire ministry, he was tortured. So he was like, look, man, every time I preach, one, it's not a good message. Two, people don't like it. It's not a, it's not a, it's, it's good in the sense of true. It's not good in the sense of feeling. So he lived in this tension. So what I found is preaching is not a glorious calling. It is being tossed into the place of public intercession. Jeremiah did not ask for it. God called him and he set him in between a divine God and a broken humanity. Leonard Ravenhill said it like this. He says, if we preachers prepared our sermons with one eye on damned humanity and another eye on the mercy seat, surely revival would take place through our messages. When you are preaching and you recognize without the gospel going forth, without people being radically impacted by the power and the presence of God, that they will, expend, they will spend eternal damnation separated from God. It should cause a fervency to rise up in you. So you don't preach from a place of having arrived. Even if everything is going good for you, when you have an eye and a sense of people's brokenness and God is the only solution, you're living that tension. Every time God wanted to do something uh, and move a nation, he would call a voice for it. He would call a people for it. Even when you look at Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, and God says, whom shall I send to speak for me? Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. Even when we look at Noah in Genesis chapter 6, God called forth Noah. And when you read about Noah in the New Testament, it says Noah preached righteousness. Only thing we know, Noah built the boat. But the New Testament folks said, no, he preached righteousness too. When you look at when God wanted to move a nation out of slavery into freedom, he called forth a voice by the name of Moses. After, after there had been several years of quiet time between God and humanity, when there was time to prepare the way for Jesus, the last Old Testament prophet, which appears in the New Testament prophet, is John the Baptist. He calls forth a voice. So he's called a voice that is crying out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. When God wants to do a work, he'll call forth a voice. This is why in John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word then later on becomes flesh. When God wanted to call humanity out of slavery to sin, he sent a voice. Where is your fire? You are a voice. So, as we look at Jeremiah's life, here's my alliterations. <laughs> the birthing, the burning, and the burden of the preacher. The birthing, the burning, and the burden of the preacher. Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we have Jeremiah's calling. When you reach the place of tension where you want to give up, when you're just saying, I, I don't know if I could take it anymore. Jeremiah said, maybe I shouldn't just mention his name anymore. I shouldn't talk about him no more. When you reach that place of tension, here's a word of encouragement. Remember the day you were birthed. Remember and recall your birth story. One of the joys, we're in the child-rearing years, which we just have, we have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, and so I don't know how many more babies we're supposed to have or how many more babies we're going to have, but one cool thing when you talk to people, new parents, you know, it's cool to talk about the birth story. And if you notice in the birth story, people share the pain and the pleasure at the same time. Yeah. And God equipped us to be able to have more pleasure than pain. When a woman gives birth, her brain is chemically coated with oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical. And so when she gives birth, she comes to the closest place of human death while giving life. Do you see the gospel? At the point 
of the most pain where her body has been ripped and, and, and contorted, her brain then kicks in and this chemical coats it and look at the thing that she birthed through her own blood and says, I love it. So when Jesus is on the cross, he is bringing us forth to new birth where even when they stabbed him, they opened up a womb, but he can look at us through his blood and say, I love you. And even while you're causing me pain, Forgive them for they know not what they do. So, so, so when you reach the tension, recall your birth story. Jeremiah chapter 1, when we read some of the birth story, God says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, set you aside. I ordained you, gave you, gave you authority. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then said I, uh, this was Jeremiah said, then, I, then said I, our Lord God, behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. And the story continues in verse 8. It says, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you. To deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Jeremiah, you're not going to have a popular ministry. It's going to hurt. But being called means that you were created for this, Jeremiah. Before you were formed in your mother's womb, I started a work. So, for his work, God didn't give Jeremiah a, 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 an armor. He didn't give him a, a quote-unquote sword or an army. Gideon at least got 300 guys. David had his mighty men of valor. But what did God give Jeremiah? A word. You must be called to this, the birthing of the preacher. When did you have your encounter with God? When were you convinced that there was no other option for you except to say yes? When did he encounter you? When was your burning bush moment? When did he speak to you? It's undeniable, the, the birth of the preacher. Um, let me see, here we go. The burning. So going, going back to Jeremiah 29. So Jeremiah continues. He says, man, I wanted to stop. But his word was in me like a burning fire shut up in my bones. It was in my bone marrow. It was all inside of me. He says it was shut up in my bones. <clears throat> so, so real quick, the word must be in you to flow through you. Remember I said Substance. Remember we talked about devotional reading yesterday? The word must be in you to flow through you. In Psalm 119, if you ever need a revival of, of appreciating the word, read Psalm 119. A couple of things that I see from there, and I especially needed this as a single man doing campus ministry, as a young adult, because I, <laughs> you know, sometimes my biggest prayers is God, I just want to be holy. I don't even, I don't even care about ministry. I just don't want to disqualify myself from salvation. And being a young adult, your hormones really try hard. I'm not going to go into too much detail there, but this scripture in Psalm 119 says, how can a young man keep his way pure? I say, help me, Lord. It says, by meditating on his word, on the word, by meditating on the word. How? And then another part says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Becoming a student of the word is not about becoming a preacher. It's about living right. If there's no other message that I appreciate, it's the message to live right. When you live right, you got the greatest opportunity to preach right. But I like Jeremiah uses this language. There's a burning fire. When we talk about fire, can I talk about fire for a little bit, y'all? Uh, I heard y'all got an evacuation procedure coming up so y'all know how to deal with the natural. Here's the spiritual fire. <laughs> When we talk about the fire, Jeremiah uses this language, and I think it's pretty strategic across the whole Bible. 
when he talks about the fire in Hebrews chapter 12, it, it kind of it echoes Exodus 24, 17. Hebrews chapter 12, it ends Hebrews chapter 12, and it says, our God is a consuming fire. And, and it's talking about Exodus 24, 17. It says, when the glory of the Lord appeared on the mountain, it was like a consuming fire. When Moses got called, he came to a burning bush that was being consumed with fire. Actually, the bush wasn't being consumed. It was just burning. Miracle. But it's this fire moment. When you see fire throughout the Bible, it symbolizes God's manifest presence. So when Elijah deals with the, uh, with the false prophets on Mount Carmel, he says, he says, look, whoever shows up in fire is the true God. They made the sacrifice, and what happened? God shows up in fire. On the day of Pentecost, it says there was a mighty rushing wind, and then there was tongues like what, y'all? So Jeremiah, he comes to this moment. I don't want to talk about it no more. I don't want to speak it no more. But it's like a what? Fire. That God's presence is in me. And it's consuming me from the inside out. I have a holy heartburn. And, and, and what we find is when we talk about fire, that this fire must be in us. Jeremiah 23, 29, God says to Jeremiah, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord? And then I like this because the resurrected Savior then models this. I try not to do too much Old Testament preaching without showing the gospel. Because when you look at Old Testament, if it doesn't point us to the gospel, if you can't see that silver lining, you need to pause until the gospel shows up. And so what we find is all this fire, it sounds very inspirational. But when I see Jesus operate in it, now I'm excited. The resurrected Savior, he's walking down the street, and some people start walking with, he start walking with these two guys. And they said, man, have you not heard what has happened? He says, tell me what happened. He says, yeah, man, the innocent man, Jesus. No, Joseph's boy, Mary's son. Yeah, Mary's baby. Yeah, that, you know, he said he was the Messiah. He says when we resurrected in three days, we ain't seen him. He done went in somebody's grave. He ain't came out yet. I don't know where he at. <laughs> then Jesus begins to open up the scriptures to him. It says as he was explaining the scriptures to him, their eyes were open. When good theology is there, our hearts are open. He begins to explain the scriptures, and then he just disappears. And this is what they said. Did not our hearts burn? Where is your fire? Because when you have that fire, when you're coming from that place, the people who hear their hearts would burn as well. Again, it's not about your style. It's about your substance. All right. So here's Jeremiah's solution, the burden of the preacher. He said, I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. His solution to his heartburn was preach. His solution to his heartburn was preach. One person said, if you can do anything else with this, do that. If you come to the place where you can do nothing else, now you're ready to preach. If you come to a place and you say, well, I, I could do this or I could do that, you're not ready to say yes. It should consume you so much that if you say yes to anything else, it's not enough. Some of us had to be unsatisfied in jobs, careers, and life situations before we was able to say yes. The burden of the preacher, again, is not, it's, it, it, when preaching becomes just a dutiful place, like it's just about duty, you have forgot it. It's a pleasure and it's a pain. I remember I, was, I, I, I alluded to preaching on a series of sexual healing at our service, uh, at our church. And, and, and I remember I went through the first service and I was, I was like, okay, God, here it is. I need you to tame my tongue because I want this to be accurate and grace-filled, but I want truth to be there. I want it to be grace and truth. And so I go through, I'm praying. First service, I think it went pretty good. Second service. And we were taking communion, and I turned around, and I was serving communion, and as I looked at the people, I felt, I felt this weight. And I'm doing everything not to, not to cry in front of everybody, because I began to feel this burden. I began to recognize the burden and the bondage that people were dealing with. As I returned to my seat, I'm weeping before I preach. Because I recognize, God, you want to free these people, and you put me here as an intercessor. God, I don't want to hinder it. I want to free your people. 
Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, I relate to him a lot. I tell people, it's not that I don't like crying, it's just when I cry, I can't talk. Everything ends up sounding, sounding like vowels. A-E-I-O-U-N-E-I-O-U. Right, and I just kind of, <laughs> I can't help it. <clears throat> but there's an element that, that, that when holiness is burning inside of you, anything that's not holy needs to be consumed properly. So Jeremiah, he had this burden. He was like, I have to preach. And, and this, is, this is what I say, family. That's where your delivery is. Your delivery is when you get to this burden. When you get to this burden, and you can't do anything else with it. When you wrestle with it, and God is speaking to you, and you're going back and forth, that's, that's where you want to be. That's, that's, where, that's the best delivery almost. Um, yes, you, you add mechanics to it. You can get a lot of mechanics through Google. Um, Mr. Google, somebody said. Like, you can get a lot of good preaching mechanics through books and things like that. Um, and, I, and, you know, we, we're, we're in a whole program that's helping us get the right mechanics around this. Hopefully this inspires you to, to, to preach from a place of fire. Preach from a place of being consumed. Um, I'm going to skip that. Uh, I don't have time. This is what I want us to do in these last moments. I want you to essentially kind of get your preaching profile. Um, this is Jeremiah's. I talked about his calling, his purpose to declare God's word, to root up and to pull down. But if you look at the, if you look at the consistent words he used, he uses word a lot, God's word, and he uses fire a lot. Um, so you look at his language. What's his buzzwords? As you look at your preaching profile, as you look at your anatomy, what was the calling moment? What scripture did God speak to you to confirm your calling? Do you hold on to that? That's what yours would be. What's your purpose? As that scripture came, oftentimes there's a purpose associated with it. When I look at my purpose, I really say revive, develop, and send. God essentially gave me a new birth through Ezekiel 37 when I saw the valley of dry bones, and, and that was a big moment for me. What words do you use consistently? Like, what's your buzzwords? And it might be harder for you to answer that. But talk to some of your friends, the people that hear you minister. What, are they, what is like some of the things that you say often? Um, or either, what's, what's the character of your preaching? When I, find, when I find myself preaching, I preach from a place of war. I do. I, I'm, and so this is why some of that, that excitement and passion. But I preach like a battle cry. I had to learn to say, I had to learn and say every sermon is not a battle cry. I mean, all of them battle cries, essentially, but not every one of them need that, turn, that, tone, that tone. But when I find the war, when I see what God is fighting for his people, I can't be calm. Are we singing in a song? He is fighting for us, pushing back the darkness. All of us do all of that then. I just do it in my preaching because it's part of worship. Right? So what words, like what tone do you have? That's what I'm saying by your words. Like what tone do you have? Uh, uh, and then what's the message? Judgment and redemption is a lot of Jeremiah's message. Uh, when I say, and this is where I say it, if you had one opportunity to preach, what would that message be? What would that message be? I, I think, I think, um, I forget exactly what preacher it is, and Pastor Steve or somebody else may know. Uh, he said, he says, I've only really had maybe two good messages. And every, every other me- and all my other messages were kind of based on those two. You ever heard that before? Oh, good. I got to find it. All right, anyway. Um, and so, so you have, like, there's a message there. Paul, I preach Christ crucified. I preach the gospel that people may be perfected. What? If you had one message, what would it be? I kind of alluded to some of mine. It might be cash. It might be dry bones. Um, I don't, you know, it's, what's that message? You have one opportunity to preach. All right, so, um, okay, so I went through a few people's preaching profiles. Okay. Um, this is what I want to do in these, closing, in these closing moments. If you have something to write with or whatnot, I just want you to just take a rough draft, first, first thought that comes to mind for yourself. Recount your birth story, your calling. When did you have an encounter with God that brought you to the place they're saying that he's called you as a minister, as a proclaimer of the gospel. 
All right, recall your birth story. Um, and then, you know, when, when you look at that birth story, why did he call you? Why did he call you? And it's okay to have some blanks, but my hope is just to, just to get you to dig deeper into this. And then what words in, re- in regards to relating with God, in regards to talking about God, talking about the gospel, what words are used often? And then if you had one message, like one opportunity to preach, what is God saying through you? Let's just take a couple minutes there. I think uh, take about five minutes there, um, and then, then, I'll, then I'll wrap up. Pray through the others. In this moment, I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet. Um, the first scripture that um, uh, that I, that I want to close with this afternoon is um, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what you'll find started off with 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is kind of like a big continuation. So I'm going to hop. I'm going to hop to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I want you to hear this. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be be manifested in our body. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, This is for you all. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. In a prayer posture, I want to practice this scripture in 2 Timothy, and I pray in this moment, that this scripture takes place in your life. What Paul tells Timothy here is what is going to be our ultimate activation. For some of us, this is going to be first time. For some of us, this is going to be a reactivation. But what Paul tells Timothy, he says this in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the land of hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Timothy, fan the flame. That's what he's telling them. Fan the flame. Eyes closed. Posture your heart before the Lord. And let this be your request. Father, I come in this moment, God, asking that you fan the flames in this room. Fan the flames in this room. Holy Ghost, breathe fresh on us. For those of us where it's been quenched, Lord, refuel our fire. Give us a passion, Lord, that's consuming us. And the only answer is that we preach your word. God, let your power consume us from the inside out. God, I pray, Lord, from this moment, as this fan is flamed in us all. God, that as we go forth to plant churches, to do campus ministry, to do missionary work, God, that you will be glorified and your word will go forth. God, you have equipped us with your Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to be witnesses, that gives us the power to be witnesses. Now, God, speak through us. 
We humble ourselves in this moment. God, we're asking for a new level of power, a new level of authority, a new level of rhetoric to be able to communicate your word with excellence, Lord. May our preaching go to another level. And may we not take any of the glory. But when we preach, may they see men and women that are on fire. Ah, hallelujah. Father, we thank you so much for calling us to this work. And God, I'm humbled because we are not worthy. But you qualified us through the sanctification, through the rebirth, through the redemption of your gospel. Now, God, may that treasure on the inside of us, may it go forth, may it go forward. As you told Isaiah, as you prophesied through him, you're making every high place low, every crooked place straight. So, God, let us not lean onto our own understanding, but let us acknowledge you in all our ways, and then you would direct our paths. God, we thank you. Can you just receive God's word just in this moment? Come on, for some of you all might be a hand clap. For some of you all might be the fruit of your lips. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We honor you. Come on, we express an attitude of gratitude for being called to this great gospel. I am constrained. I am persuaded. Freedom in this place. Healing in this place. Salvation in this place. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.